In this week's Canny Dentist podcast, we talk to Anna Middleton, who is the founder of London Hygienist, um, who's going to bring perspective on um, the role of the hygienist in the dental profession. Welcome, Anna. Um, Thank you. Anna, to start off, why don't you share your journey about how you became a dental hygienist? How did your journey start? Um, Well, it wasn't one that I ever truly planned. I actually did sound engineering and music tech first, and I worked in that industry for a little while. And then during around the sort of credit crunch time, I basically lost all the funding for all the music projects I worked on. The bar I worked in closed down, and so did the restaurant that I used to work in as well. So I was in a sticky sort of space of thinking, oh, what should I do? I was 24 at the time, and I actually really wanted to study again. But I needed to do something that meant I could study and still earn at the same time. So someone said, oh, why don't you become a dental nurse? And I was like, okay, yeah, I kind of always wanted to do medicine or music. And so I did. Off I went, got a job as a dental nurse. And it was working with the dental nurse that I um, was first introduced to a dental hygienist. And up until then, I didn't even know what a dental hygienist was. So then, yeah, started working with her, was really inspired. And then I decided, okay, that's actually what I want to do. So then I spent the rest of um, my time training as a a dental nurse to then further to go on to train as a dental hygienist, which I then obviously later went on to do. And then even after that, during lockdown, I then retrained as a dental therapist. Wow. And here we are. (laughs) Long story short. That's a long and interesting journey. Um... (laughs) On a different note, not for the podcast, I have a similar journey, actually. Um, Could you describe a typical work day for you? And, you know, think about how you maintain a sense of well-being amidst a busy schedule, but also quite quite a stressful, uh, challenging environment. Um, So I'll be honest, work days are tough to balance anything else because my day typically runs from 9am to 6pm and that is like back-to-back work quite often you know lunch is you know comes and goes in the blink of an eye Um, and I've learned how important I would say my preparation for that type of day has become so now in the mornings I like to I mean try and get a little workout in but if that doesn't happen I make sure I actually walk. So I only take the train part of the way to work. And then I take about a 40 minute walk, cup of coffee, bit of sunshine or daylight if we're if we're fortunate. And then um, I am indoors all day and I don't have any windows, but it's things like making sure I've, I've had breakfast. I take a packed lunch with me. And if I do get out in my lunch break, great. And if not, I make sure I walk at the other end of the day. So little things like that to help balance the day because the rest of the time, I'm just focused on my patients. I have my inboxes open in the background. So I try and if it's something that can be done in less than a minute, then I just kind of quickly try and work through small tasks. And then the rest of it, I just wait till I get home, put an hour aside to just kind of clear the deck. And then that's it. No tech after 10. Uh, you, you make it sound very straightforward and very, very simple, but that sounds <laughs> frantically busy and and quite hectic, to be honest. Um, <laughs> you know, if we think about your your day in uh, at work, um, what do you wish was different? Um, to be fair, I've nothing now. I've actually worked hard to get to a point where it is all manageable in the sense that 
I have appropriate appointment time lengths for the, you know, for the patients. Um, I have zoned areas in my diary, which means then patients who need further treatment can be booked back easily. I'm not in clinic every day. So it's it's having that sort of different locations, different hours, um, because it's not the same. It does really help. So knowing that, okay, it's going to be a crazy day, but then I've got the next day off, that all really helps as well. Wow. Okay. Um, you you kind of um, you're very very clear about time management. Um, do you think that <laughs> is the secret to a kind of a productive and slightly less stressful day? Yeah, I actually I really think it it does help. Um, I like to have. I'm quite old school. I still write on paper. I have a week to view planner. So I kind of like to drop things in that I know are 100% happening, which therefore means I can then hour block, you know, stuff around. Um, on one of, on my course Thrive that I I teach, I teach everyone to do a time order. So for one week, you write down everything you do for every hour of the day for one week. And then it really helps you sort of see where you are potentially, I don't want to say wasting time, but where you can, you can see where things are too piled in together on one day or actually some things could be curbed a little bit. There's obviously going to be non-negotiables for me. Eight hours sleep is a non-negotiable, so that's blocked out for on all those days. Um, but it does it does really help with the time management. It's that sort of do it, dump it, delegate it philosophy as well that I really work with and, and use. I mean, it's it, it's interesting that you talk about the kind of eight hours sleep is mandatory and is immovable. Um, but for lots of people, the stress of the day job means yeah. that you can't sleep particularly well. Um, and lots of people do have trouble sleeping. You know, how do you how do you make sure that you do sleep right out? So another I take sleep hygiene very seriously. Um, so for me, that means when I sort of come home, there is obviously that window of time where I am doing a bit of work and trying to, you know, just tick things off. But ultimately, it's like I said, no tech after 10. I sort of, um, if not sooner, so that means like my phone, no notifications come through. Um, I don't use any of the big lights anymore. So everything's lamps, you know, it's kind of making sure I've had my dinner at an appropriate time, winding down, whatever supplements that, you know, you take before bed, all those sorts of things. Um, And I think having that sort of, because I do roughly go to bed at the same time and get up at the same time, I'm just sort of used to it. I have one of those clocks that wakes me up as well. So um, I tried to just have that sort of routine because when you're out of routine, that's when I, for me, it kind of the deviations start to kick in. Uh, okay, so kind of creature of habit, like your routines, um, is, is the same routine and process applied personally and professionally? Yeah, I mean, I I think you know, you can't be good all the time, but you strive to be good most of the time. And I, you know, for me, knowing that I'm getting enough rest and sleep and unwind time really helps. And, you know, getting into bed, listening to like a meditation podcast or listening to a story, but, you know, these are all things that really do help my mind switch off. And as I said, not engaging in tech before bed really helps as well. I made a mistake once of reading an email just before I got into bed and then that was it. I, you know, so taking away external stimulus before bedtime does help. So then when I do go to sleep, I'm not, you know, my mind's not racing about, you know, different whatever tasks, news, social media, other people. It's just sort of having that bit of quiet time. 
Um, I mean, you, you seem to you seem to have like a very clear kind of process and way of doing things. I wonder, you know, how did you learn about all of these things? Was, did was it just kind of discovery? Did you go on courses? Did you read books? Did you how did you learn to to uh, do this? Probably from like being unwell and being burnt out. You know, I think burnout is something that just for me has always just appeared at the point where it was too late to sort of recognize that. Um, And I do go 100 miles an hour sometimes. I have been known to burn the candle at both ends. So I think actually a lot of it is just a process of you get to a point where, say, you're disorganized and overwhelmed. So you make that active choice to say, right, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to live this way. So you do a bit of self-discovery, exploration. You listen to other people. You learn. And then you pick and choose the bits that work for you. And like I said, you can't be good all the time. But I think for a long time, I felt guilty about resting. And I felt guilty for not always being striving to achieve or hit targets and milestones. And actually spending a bit more time saying, you know what, this can wait, the world will keep on turning, has has helped as well. Like yesterday, I just watched Netflix all day and chilled. It was great. Wow. Um, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, one of the big mental health challenges of the world these days is kind of anxiety. It's kind of stress about things that you potentially know you have to do but haven't quite done and don't necessarily have the time and might not be properly skilled to do that. I mean, how do you deal with that? I mean, you seem very, very relaxed, um, but it, but it's, you know, can, can be, you know, a very, very big challenge for people. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's overwhelming. Last week I had a hard week. I cried three days out of seven. You know, it's, um, you know, living in London, it's fast paced. There's a lot going on. And sometimes you, you feel very overwhelmed and you can't even put your finger on it. So then you're like, oh. Is it the weather? Is it this? Is it that? And actually it's, you know, you're just feeling feelings. And for me, one of the biggest things I've learned is to ask for help and lean on other people and, you know, don't sort of suffer in silence. You know, I tell other people how I'm feeling. I say, you know, I'm feeling like rubbish or I'm worried about this, that and the other. And these are all natural. It can't be rainbows and sunshine all the time. And I still, you know, have my own you know limiting beliefs or imposter syndrome that creeps in or just an overwhelming like sense of there is so much going on and you know it it can be tough you can feel very lonely as well and I think that's something that I still every now and then you know really have to sort of you know battle with is is are those human feelings that we all have Mm. I mean it's interesting that you talk about literally being reduced to tears three times in a week um I mean what is it about your role that causes you the most uh stress I mean I always think that people become very self-aware yeah and they are very aware of the types of thing that are going to stress them out do you have you kind of pinpointed what they are for you in your day I, I think if anything it's not necessarily like my, I love what I do and I I you know I'm super supported in the places I work I'm you know I've literally got nothing to complain about but sometimes when you particularly work with people and in our industry, you give so much to your patients and the people around you that sometimes you forget about your own like sort of needs and well-being. It is a bit like showtime when you get in, you're there for the patient. And, you know, whatever has happened to me in the morning or in the day or in my private life and personal life, that's not something I get to like offload. But, 
you quite often receive the offloading from other people. So maybe it's, you know, like an energetic sort of thing, or if you're an empath, you, you feel it more. Um, but it's, like I said, the the it's not like I'm going in every day and it's chaos and that's reducing me to tears because we've actually worked through those challenges when they've happened to ensure that, you know, we have days where everyone is having a good day and we're all supported. And that, of course, there'll be challenges, but you learn how to sort of manage those better. Mm. I mean, you, you, you're talking a lot about kind of, uh, what's the term, compassion fatigue, where you you kind of there's only so much in you that you can give to people that you just sort of know you're going to hurt in some way um yeah and, and and that's you know that's that's got to be difficult um you know do you think the way that you focus on your own well-being has helped the way that you engage with your patients yeah because you then you know it's a shared feeling you know you are able to say like you know, I understand that must be hard for you. And, you know, these things aren't easy for everyone. Um, but it, you know, it, it's weird. I spend eight, nine hours in a small room with like no windows and you do feel like a bit, you know, caged at times. And also, you you know, you're using senses. For me particularly, I find when I'm focusing and I'm looking at, you know, teeth for hours on end through my little loops, you know, I'm using parts of my brain that actually require quite a lot of, you know, energy and focus. So that is fatiguing in itself. And then your sort of your posture starts to, you know, deplete over the day. You sort of go from sitting up straight to slowly turning into a croissant. Um, and so it then becomes a sort of like mental fatigue, physical fatigue. Um, you know, it's it's just that sort of like repetitive cycle. So for me, breaking up that routine in terms of how much of those parts of my brain and body do I need to use in a week has really helped to sort of ease some of that up. There's no way I could do six days clinically anymore. You know, I've been mm. done that. Um, I admire those who do and can do it. Just for me, it's, <laughs> it's not what I enjoy. And I don't feel that then the patients get the best out of me. Mm. I'd say you could probably write a book about it based on what I've heard. Um, <laughs> Can you can you share an example of a really challenging experience that you faced in your career um, and, and particularly look at how you handled it? You mean like a clinical thing or something with other people? Up to you. I mean, I think something that's quite um, re- relevant in my story and my journey is obviously when I first qualified, you know, I was new in the industry, new to the job and... and I ended up working in a place where I probably wasn't as well supported as I could be. Um, I was full of beans, full of ideas, full of ambition. And this place, you know, I was just slowly chipped, chipped, chipped away at um, and actually ended up in a situation where my employer of the time fired me with no real sort of like reasoning. And, um, you know, that really knocked like my confidence it really knocked like my self-worth. You know, I, I basically had this dream of becoming a hygienist only to start working as one and be like, I think I've made a big mistake. Um, and I guess through that sort of failure and setback, it really then ignited something in me, which was like, right, you had this business idea. Perhaps now is the time that you like sort of run with that. And I did. And then the following month I had like my first article published 
I was quickly then working with brands who were seeing what I was doing on social media. And it just sort of through that fire, I would mm-hmm. say was the sort of the forging and making of who I am today because it taught me resilience, it taught me failure, it taught me, you know, not everyone's gonna like you or appreciate you. You know, there was a lot there. Um, but that was tough because I know I'm not the only person that has been in that situation or may currently be in such a, a situation. Hmm. I mean, it's a tough learning experience to realise that it's impossible to be liked by everybody. Yeah, I uh, mean, getting yeah. fired as well for not, you know, I hadn't <laughs> done anything wrong. <laughs> so, well, I, I mean, so that raises an, a kind of an interesting question about kind of practice politics and and kind of people in very isolating roles, how they were, you know, you know, does a practice operate really as a team effectively, do you think? Well, I think this is the thing. I think cognitive dissonance is something that I've come, you know, that's what, what essentially happened. I came with all these ideas, suggestions, proven track record, and it just went against the grain of what was sort of, you know, that classic, oh, well, we've always done it this way mentality. And actually, when someone is perhaps seen as the disruptor, then the quickest thing to do is get rid of the problem rather than leaning in to the things that they're saying and the suggestions and the, you know, uh, you know, sort of just hearing them out. It was a very hard, we don't like this, so we're just going to get rid of you. So, okay. <laughs> Right. Um, I mean, it's a, it's it, you know it's a learning experience, you know. And, oh yes. You know, you can argue there's a thing about chemistry and teamwork, and if if you've got a slightly um, old school leader, you those things do unfortunately happen in any business. So uh, it, you yeah. know, but it's difficult to learn. And it's very I mean, the positive the positive from this is look at me now, ten years on. You know, a, a super successful business, a happy job. You know. Thing, you know, people that do lean into my vision, my, you know, my way of seeing things and thinking. So it's not all been bad, but it was definitely a very uh, shaping moment. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, in your view, are there common misconceptions about well-being in the dental profession? Um, you know, do, do, do you think that the profession is well looked after, you know, the, the, the kind of employers understand the kind of well-being challenges and, and it's addressed appropriately? I, I do think so. It's it's hard. I think it's getting better with more access to resources, support and people, you know, speaking about issues and, you know, and and solutions around the matter. But let me give you an example. Like I'm self-employed. And obviously I have a diary full of patients. If I wake up and don't feel great, you know, that's loss of earnings and a lot of, you know, jiggling and shuffling around a patient. So you almost then feel a sense of pressure to show up even when you're not your best, because it's not like I can just say, look, I'm not coming in, but I'm going to work from home. I'll be online. I'm still available for calls and meetings. So that sometimes is, um, I found that sort of pressure and anxiety around not being well, but still trying to push through it. And actually that's sometimes the worst thing you can do because you end up then getting to work and you end up having a breakdown and being sent home anyway. And people are like, why didn't you say anything? And you're like, well, you just feel there's a bit of a sort of, you don't want to let the team down. You don't want to let your patients down. 
And ultimately, you know, you want to be getting paid. And if you don't go into work, you're not getting paid. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, you make it sound very um, challenging. I mean, there's no easy way out of that one. I have no. one final question for you. Um, mm-hmm. words to, you know, words of wisdom to share with everybody that works in the dental profession. Um, tell us one thing everyone working in a dental practice should do. Uh, and don't say tax return. <laughs> no, I have someone to do that for me. Um, I think that when it starts to feel like it's a bit much or a bit overwhelming, like sort of checking in with yourself at the end of the day, being like, how, was that a good day? Like a bit of self-reflection and highlighting things that aren't working earlier rather than later to then obviously try and implement some kind of change to help support your day-to-day role there and not being afraid to say, hey, this is, you know, this is a bit much for me or this isn't working. Can we try this? And asking for that help and support um, because I've done it in the past and we've made changes which have allowed it. But ultimately I've been in places where that's not happened. And I've said, you know what, my wellness and my happiness is more important. So I'm going to, you know, make an exit plan and find a place where I can work safely and happily. Wise words indeed. Anna, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me.